What up, guys? How y'all doing? And welcome to the very first podcast episode of Chicken and Dreams. Your boys branching out to other media formats. So COVID-19 has the whole world on lockdown and people are freeing for their lives while social distancing. And that leaves me with a lot of free time that I decided to do a limited series run and check in on my friends who I haven't seen or talked to in a while while the coronavirus wrecks havoc in our communities, our economy, and our social lives. So thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate it. It gives me a big boost to my ego. So today I have my good friend Hassan Munir, who's currently doing his MA at the University of Toronto in History. He's also a Yaqeen Institute Research Fellow, and he is also the External Relations Coordinator at Islamic Relief Canada. Hassan, thank you so much for indulging me and being my very first guest. Uh, Thank you for having me on. Looking forward to this conversation. Anytime, anytime. So Hassan, right off the bat, how are you dealing with COVID-19? Um, it's a struggle. Uh, and I think um, part of, uh, you know, coping with the struggle is uh, recognizing it for what it is, at least for me personally. Um, but, uh, you know, something I just put out there right away as advice for others as well to, um, you know, be honest about it. There's a lot of conversation about how much more productive we can be and like, you know, uh, being positive about it and all of these things, which are all extremely important things, all directions uh, to look in and try to work in. But at the same time, um, I have been under quarantine for 21 days now. So this is day 21. Um, and I have an underlying medical condition, um, which puts me at a greater risk. Um, if I were to uh, contract uh, this COVID-19 uh, disease, God forbid. So um, I've really been trying to stay home as much as possible. Um, Personally, I'm someone who's very uh, outgoing in a very literal sense, um, in a very physical sense. Like just I like to be outdoors. I like to be um, not only outdoors because you can still do that to some extent, but especially, um, you know, taking part in things and events and Uh, you know, just chilling with friends and doing lots of uh, fun stuff and just uh, driving around to different places, trying new things, etc. And all of that has suddenly uh, had the door, you know, closed on it. So uh, it's been a struggle, but alhamdulillah, um, and that's the other equally important thing to remember, I guess, is to um, be very grateful for um, the privilege we're enjoying, the blessings we're enjoying, um, the safety we're enjoying. That is not uh, something that many people um, within our own communities um, and especially around the world uh, will be able to enjoy um, with the same you know, level of accessibility. So you've been in quarantine for 21 days and you, you've never left the house. Uh, no, so I can't say that I have left the house, um, what, uh, a couple of times, um, and, uh, I haven't been traveling. I should probably clarify. So by quarantine, I, I mean, in sort of self-isolation at home, um, I haven't, uh, been traveling, um, you know, within the past month or so. Um, so there's no, uh, need, uh, for a strict quarantine. I have left the house, I believe, four times, maybe short trips, mostly staying in the car, uh, mostly for a change of scenery. And uh, I think once I went grocery shopping and uh, that's about it. So you've been in quarantine for 21 days. Is it fair to say, uh, you know, things got real for you the first day you went into quarantine or when did, when did this virus really have an impact on your life? When he's like, oh, crap, you know, I really need to take this seriously. Or were you taking it seriously the entire time? Um, I can't say I was taking it seriously the entire time. I mean, there has 
um, uh, you know, been no sort of uh, precedent um, for this in my life personally. Um, you know, I've never experienced anything of this sort. So um, even, uh, you know, in early February, when I went for Umrah, I traveled to Saudi Arabia for Umrah. Um, there were some cases of, uh, I believe, um, while I was there, the number of cases um, of COVID-19 worldwide had gone up to about 50,000 at the time. Um, and this was sort of in mid-February. Um, so even at the time, there was some concern. I did speak to my doctors before I went and um, they were like, you know, just so you know, there is this COVID-19 going around, but we, uh, and they were saying that we don't think that it will really be that much of an issue. And this is, you know, um, just in sort of early to mid-February that this was the kind of uh, conversation that was happening. Um, so I think uh, it's a it's a work in progress because I I still um, you know it's still like the thought at the back of my mind um, and I guess it's it's part of the uh, way of staying optimistic is that um, oh you know it 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 will just end like it's going to end one of these days and then life can just uh, go back to normal more or less obviously with some lessons learned hopefully and many things that we can do better um, and many things that we can appreciate more fully um, that we took for granted before but sooner or later um, and I still I think uh, I'm just trying to make um, sense and trying to find a way to cope with the idea that this could go on for a very long time so I think uh, to be honest with you I think uh, maybe that day has not come yet or that moment really has not come yet um, where I'm really perhaps grasping the reality of the situation. I'm being um, very optimistic uh, about this um, situation improving. Um, and, and I'm not sure if that's just a coping mechanism right now. No, I, I hear that. I know I find it very admirable. Uh, despite all the news that we're getting uh, every day with the updates from the prime minister, the updates from uh, uh, John Tory in the city of Toronto and the updates that's been given to by uh, the uh, provincial government, right? Today, they just yeah. uh, announced that they're expecting three thousand to fifteen thousand uh, dollars, fifteen thousand uh, deaths to occur within the next two years because of right. COVID nineteen. So it's very sombering, but it's nice to see that some people out there, like, such as yourself, you know, are feeling optimistic about it and have a positive outlook. Because if you go on uh, Twitter or Instagram, <laughs> it seems like it's the end of the world. <laughs> Right. And you know what, like I myself am indulging in that at moments, right? Um, uh, because it's it's a struggle. Like I mentioned, like I started, you know, started off the conversation by saying, and I think another thing to keep in mind is um, something that uh, listeners may find helpful, something that I personally found helpful is just um, taking this time to very lightly, I guess, start to educate myself about how microbes work, um, you know, the basics of like microbiology, how all of this happens, because um, a lot of times uh, what the government is saying, like even the models that were released today are essentially, um, uh, they have one particular purpose, all the numbers, all the models, et cetera, that uh, they are telling people to pay attention to, um, which is they are trying to prevent, they're trying to mitigate this crisis as much as possible, right? 
Um, but I think if we keep in mind um, and if we prepare ourselves to receive that information from the authorities, from the public health officials, by also giving ourselves the background, the context of knowing things like, well, a lot of researchers, a lot of scientists, for example, around the world are working on trying to find a solution to this right now. The current projections are most likely based on the current level of knowledge about COVID-19. But as they do more research and as hopefully they discover more information and get a better understanding of how this disease works and how it spreads, perhaps the measures um, can be lightened up, perhaps the models will shift um, and it will become easier, etc. So um, as important as it is to pay attention to all of the instructions um, that are being drawn based on the numbers and the modeling that uh, we are being given by the public health officials, um, I also think it's a good opportunity to just uh, educate ourselves about um, how uh, really the, the science behind it uh, works. And you don't have to go very deep to, to find what I feel is um, sort of information that helps with your optimism. Like, yes, this, this can be um, a situation that does not uh, become as gloomy as the current models may suggest. Yeah, and then I'm assuming that from the, the readings that you have done on this, uh, that kind of translated to what you're doing right now with your Instagram live uh, sessions of the history of microbes, the history of plagues and outbreaks in the Islamic world. How's that uh, turning out for you? Uh, it's turning out great. Um, so my, um, uh, you know, almost first reaction to any kind of event that I uh, see occurring in the present uh, is to think about what can I look back at in the past um, to sort of put this into context for me, right? Um, now, like I said, this is a very unprecedented situation. And to be honest with you, for the first time, even though I'm someone who's used to studying history, um, and I'm used to studying a lot of, um, you know, very devastating events of different sorts, like wars and previous plagues, and, you know, paying attention to these kind of things. Um, this is all stuff I've studied. But now, it's as if I'm living in a historical moment uh, for the first time because it's really affecting my life um, in a very, very direct, very intimate way. Um, and so that just uh, adds to the, um, uh, you know, this compulsion that I feel to go out, uh, look at the past, um, see what lessons we can draw and what lessons, first of all, I can draw personally from what um, the Muslims uh, in particular um, have faced in the past and how they have responded to it in a variety of ways. So I started doing that. I found some very fascinating uh, sort of uh, precedents in terms of responses and reactions. And I tried to think of different ways, and I'm still trying to think of different ways to share that um, with the general public. Hopefully it will um, contextualize uh, things for them as well, give them more food for thought, and uh, again, add to their um uh, to their hope, to their optimism. And I just want this all to be sort of a learning experience, but uh, more importantly and more immediately, something that's uplifting, right? What's the reaction been like uh, to, to, the, to the live sessions that you run? Um, I think the reaction has been uh, quite strong. There's quite a lot of interest. Um, there are a lot of questions that relate to um you know, the present questions that uh, we have had conversations about as a community, as a Muslim community. So, um, you know, a lot of things uh, that people are interested in are 
questions such as um, were the mosques ever closed, right? Uh, was Juma ever canceled? Was Hajj ever canceled? Uh, were there any particular duas? Was there any particular prayer that people used to maybe recite when a plague broke out or something along those lines? Um, so these are the questions that people have. Obviously, again, it seems as if they're trying to put their own uh, current experience um, sort of into context and draw from different places to see how they can cope with uh, a stark new reality. Um, obviously, I think there's been a saturation of webinars and things of that sort as well, live sessions. There are just a lot of them happening. So um, I completely uh, think that um, there may be some uh, level of uh, this becoming an overwhelming kind of thing um, where, um, you know, because a lot of people are being exposed to a lot of different things. And uh, it seems, and it does seem to make a sense as well, that perhaps a lot of people would just like to zone out entirely um, and, and focus something on you know, something that's more entertaining or something, you know, just entertainment, doing things that are fun, doing things that are um, exciting, um, you know, play sports as much as they're able to within the confines of their own home or watch movies, et cetera, that kind of thing. So I think that does take away from the, the response a little bit, but at the same time, um, what's more important I think right now is if that's something you find uh, is more helpful to you, um, that's, that's something I would encourage you to do. And for some people, um, they're really interested and I see the interest in learning sort of the history and what they can learn from the history. And that's what I'm there to provide. And I'm one of those people. So um, different people are, are trying to make sense of this situation and sort of cope with it in different ways. Uh, switching gears a bit, because the reason why I got you uh, on my podcast is more to do with your work. So you work for Islamic Relief. Can you explain to the un uninitiated what is Islamic Relief? Um, so Islamic Relief is a global charity. It's one of the preeminent um, Muslim charities around the world. Um, it has operated um, from a variety of partner offices, as we call them, our headquarters, Global headquarters are in the UK, um, which is where the charity began in 1984. And uh, over the years, alhamdulillah, it has branched out to um, many different countries, um, including Canada, the US, um, the UK, of course, where it had begun, and then Germany and Italy and Australia and Pakistan, many other places. Um, so uh, the charity uh, essentially um, primarily works in conflict zones um, as well as uh, in places um, that have uh, suffered from natural disasters, which have caused, um, you know, or had long, long term consequences on the local infrastructure. Um, so even once the disaster passes through or the conflict passes through, the infrastructure damage is uh, something that takes a long time to repair. So um, we try to remain in the field and are sort of distinctive uh, advantage in, in many places is that we have our own um, teams on the ground. Um, so for example, the people um, in a particular country, in a particular conflict zone, uh, will be the local people who work for Islamic Relief in that country. And they've often, uh, it's not been a reactive effort, so they've often been working on the ground, helping alleviate poverty, etc., before the crisis situation developed. Um, and uh, essentially, uh, we try to to serve um, 
you know, the essential needs that they have, such as food, water, access to sanitation, access to education, access to health care, etc. Um, and obviously, uh, wherever possible to make this a sustainable, locally sustainable project um, and establish initiatives so that even, um, you know, when Islamic Relief leaves, the people continue to benefit from the programs that are in place and make a living for themselves and try to escape the cycle of poverty. Um, so that in in a nutshell is what the charity does um and i'm sure you have follow-up questions that i can go into to be more specific <laughs> of course of course so uh i've seen in the past few months islamic relief is trying to create more programs uh, on the domestic level and with covid19 what's been the response to try and alleviate you know regular canadians uh, absolutely. Um, uh, we do recognize our responsibility towards uh, our local communities, um, and we do give a high priority to our local communities. So in Canada, as you said, um, we have been trying to really expand our domestic uh, programs and our domestic work. Um, and obviously, uh, this COVID-19 uh, situation, as it has developed in recent weeks, has um, put uh, us on a different, um, uh, put us on a different kind of playing field altogether um, that we weren't necessarily prepared for. Um, we were prepared for it in one sense, which is that we have uh, networks of volunteers and dedicated employees um, and donors and um, supporters in different ways uh, across the country. And that's a network um, that has sort of been uh, fostered over the years. Um, Alhamdulillah, so those people are in place in essentially uh, all virtually all the major cities across Canada, and they are ready to help their local communities and in their regions. Um, the response that we uh, had initially, um, which is still underway, is to prepare hygiene and sanitation kits, um, as well as food kits, uh, which contain non-perishable food items and have those delivered through local partners, um, a lot of uh, mosques, as well as uh, other charities, etc., working together with local partners to have those delivered to people who may be particularly vulnerable to the effects of COVID-19, such as the elderly, the immunocompromised, um, people who uh, otherwise have uh, difficulty perhaps accessing things that they would need, such as uh, essential groceries or sanitation products. So we want to make sure uh, those are delivered to those people, um, obviously not only working within the Muslim community, uh, working with our community in general and trying to make sure we are using the best um, uh, sort of, uh, or using our resources in the best way to serve uh, as many people as possible through that program. And do you have a rough estimate of how many uh, kits you've built so far and distributed uh, and how much money have you raised? Uh, so for the money raised, I do not have an estimate uh, off the top of my head. I know the campaign to raise the money was very successful um, from the get-go. Um and uh, just within, and it was very promising. So just when the campaign had launched about three weeks ago, um, just a few days after that, uh, we had 
raised at least $15,000, I believe. Um, so there was a very strong response from the Muslim community to help their local communities. Um, as in terms of kits, uh, we will be distributing about 3,000 uh, kits in total, inshallah. And um, most of that, most of those have essentially already been distributed. And uh, now, as we see the government, uh, of course, um, you know, uh, initiating more and more programs to help Canadians and as we see other uh, charities as well stepping up to uh, help Canadians in a variety of ways. We are trying slowly, gradually, although we do want to continue um, helping um, our local communities in some capacity, but we're gradually shifting our focus overall to um, helping those who are even more vulnerable as we start to get the news that coronavirus has started to reach places like um, Idlib in Syria, like Gaza in Palestine, places where people are very vulnerable and places in which Islamic relief would have a strategic advantage to help those people. Um, so we are redirecting our fundraising efforts um, and redirecting our uh, focus on uh, making sure those um, places are prepared as much as possible to deal with this crisis. I know that Ramadan's coming up and that's a very big month for a lot of uh, Muslim charities in particular. Uh, do you feel that COVID-19 is going to be directly affecting um, you know, the Ramadan efforts that you guys have? Do you feel that it's going to be your entire focus will be on COVID-19 uh, from now until probably till midsummer? Um, I believe so. It seems that that will be the case. Um, Obviously, we want to continue as many of our existing programs as possible. So, for example, the Orphan Sponsorship Program, um, which is uh, one of our most, most successful programs um, and uh, which helps uh, not only a lot of orphans, but also those orphans' families and even their local communities um, in some cases. So we want to keep those programs, um, you know, going as much as possible. Um, obviously, um, a lot of people may feel a little uh, financially insecure um, because of the COVID-19 crisis. They may have lost their job or they may otherwise find themselves in a tighter financial situation. Um, and we do um, expect that this may uh, affect our um, flow of revenue, uh, which is, of course, what funds all of these humanitarian projects in Canada and around the world. Um, nevertheless, uh, we also have strong faith in the um, generosity of our community in uh, the giving uh, nature of many of our community members. Um, they donate generously. Um, they have donated through difficult circumstances before. Um, and we are really encouraging people to, um, most importantly, to keep their own um, hopes up right to keep their own families hopes up um to to sort of uh not um let the crisis get to them um as much as they can to to mitigate that um be uplifting for yourself and that's the kind of content we're trying to release as well and share with our communities right now is uplifting content right um and uh we want the community itself to remain strong and to remain stable um during uh ramadan and we do believe uh that the generosity will be as strong um, as it has always been um, and perhaps stronger still, inshallah. Yeah, that was the next question I was going to ask. Uh, so right now, uh, uh, Trudeau said there's been 6.3.6 uh, million applications for EI 
So that's assuming that's 3.6 million people who are out of a job. And right now, a lot of charities uh, we see are, are scrambling right now, uh, trying to you know, mitigate some of the damage that has happened. Uh, and also, uh, we, we're seeing uh, a lot of politicians from across the spectrum who are encouraging Canadians, you know, if they, if they have the opportunity, if they have the ability to continue donate, to donating to charities and nonprofits because uh, that will eventually help, you know, the communities that they're part yeah. of. Uh, so far, you've, uh, from, from when you launched the campaign till now, uh, what's been, you know, the, what are you hearing from the people from the, on the ground in terms of related to that? Um, so far, uh, we're very grateful to to hear um, uh, from you mean the communities in Canada, correct, or internationally? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. In Canada, um, in Canada, we've heard uh, that there has been um, so far a fair bit of security, right? Um, so, in the people that uh, we are working with, um, I think we were able to begin our work um, sort of between the end of the first week of March um, to mid-March. Um, and that was still sort of uh, early on, relatively early that we got ourselves organized and launched the campaign right away, started fundraising for it, um, starting getting the uh, deliveries uh, of the supplies, et cetera, and then assembling the kits and distributing them. Um, from our people on the ground, it does not seem um, that they have that they have lost uh, any hope, right? It does not seem that they are really, um, uh, you know, sort of um, in crisis mode yet. Um, and I believe that's an extremely important thing um, because when we do get the impression that um, we are in crisis mode, that's when you find things like, um, you know, people are stocking up on toilet paper and stuff like that. And, um, you know, potentially uh, reducing other people's accessibility to essential supplies that they need as well. So hoarding begins and uh, we don't want at any point to feel that we are in that kind of crisis situation. And we certainly hope that no Canadian feels that way. So from the people on the ground, um, I'm glad to hear that there, there's a lot of enthusiasm um, for, uh, you know, helping each other. People are trying to find ways to help each other despite being instructed to, um, you know, keep a safe distance and self-isolate within the homes, etc. cetera. Um, while following uh, those directions, people are still very enthusiastic. We constantly get people telling us about how they want to help and the ideas that they have, etc. So that's something that raises our hopes as well. So we are not in some kind of... Um, uh, you know, situation at a broad level, I think, um, and hopefully we will not get there and hopefully we can remember that um, we do have a, a government uh, that certainly seems to be taking every step that they can to support Canadians um, and to keep Canadians sort of afloat despite, uh, you know, the financial concerns and to also keep their hopes up. So we're very grateful for that. Um, so that's one thing to keep in mind. And the other thing to keep in mind is that we have each other in our communities um, and we have a good spirit and we will continue to help each other. We will continue to share. We will continue to uplift each other and get through this together, inshallah. And that has been the message that we have been trying to send uh, to our local communities as we do this work. And that's also the message that we've received from the people uh, who we are working with, the people who we are trying to help, everyone really who we've talked to. So that's something that's um, very uplifting for us and good to see. Uh, so I'm assuming during this time that you're in self-isolation, you've been working uh, Yes, that's correct. 
And how's that been for you? It's been a challenge. Uh, and obviously, different people have uh, different capacities to work like this. Um, for me, like I said, I'm a very outdoorsy person. I like seeing my colleagues in person. Um, and, and, you know, the things that we normally get to do, like, you know, let's during a break, let's go to grab coffee together or just uh, have a conversation um, that's not necessarily related to work or even when it's related to work to bounce ideas and, um, you know, to go out for lunch together and all of these things um, are things that are um, very uh, important uh, and enjoyable parts of my life, uh, which I'm suddenly deprived of. Um, so I'm definitely, um, you know, uh, missing the opportunity for that in-person face-to-face interaction with my colleagues. Um, at the same time, uh, I find it um, sort of inspiring because I feel that uh, sort of uh, constriction maybe uh, at home um, I also find myself um, sort of buzzing with more ideas sort of in my mind about uh, what can we do right what can we do to mitigate this crisis what can we do to um, uh, you know if, if for Islamic relief so bouncing ideas with my colleagues um, now through whatsapp chats and emails and other ways um, it just kind of it's like we can try this and we can try that so I think our uh, creativity um, may have uh, been bumped up a notch um, I think certainly mine has just because again that that is sort of a coping mechanism because I want to be doing something I want to be doing as much as I can and I want to sort of go to sleep at night knowing that I did sort of everything I could um, despite this constriction and despite this uh, tight situation that we're all in um, but overall, I do find it very difficult. I do find it very challenging, and I really cannot wait for it to be over. So what advice or w- wisdom would you like to uh, pass on to those thousands of Canadians who are currently working from home? Um, I think uh, just know um, what you can do uh, to stay connected and at least do all of those things. Um, I'm not sure if that's a very... Um, wise thing to say i'm not sure if that's uh, the kind of wisdom you expected amar uh, to hear but at the same i think um just uh, you know so for me right now i try to pick up the the phone i try to stay connected with people um and uh you know try to uh, have the video on now during like google hangouts chats and things like that so we can actually see each other um different things like that it's like well yes it's going to be difficult and it's not going to make up for the experience you're missing out on but if the social interaction aspect of work is extremely important to you. Just make sure that you're still um, using the privilege of all this technology that we have at our disposal to um, still have those conversations, um, still make sure that you're uh, even more so actually checking in on people um, and uh, make sure you're connected with your team, um, over-communicate, right? I believe that over-communication is um, uh, something that uh, may be you know, intrusive or pushy at other times, but at, at, I personally feel that at this time, um, for the most part, um, not to encourage people to go out of their way to make other people discomfortable, uncomfortable or anything like that, but at the same time, um, over-communicate, go out of your way, uh, talk to people, um, and uh, just stay connected that way. Nice, nice. And uh, I unfortunately have a very short attention span, so I can't you know, do a long podcast. Yeah. I want to ask you one final question uh, to end off uh, tonight. Um, what advice do you have for everyone 
uh, to try and survive COVID. I think um, keep your hopes up, right? Um, definitely keep your hopes up. Uh, stay positive. Um, keep a smile on your face as possible, uh, regardless of the difficulty. And this is something actually that it seems like a uh, natural uh, conclusion to arrive at. I've learned from the history because when these devastating pandemics and epidemics routinely occurred in history and there was just no um, hope for a solution um, and no hope uh, for anything other than this disease will just have to pass through enough of the population until it kind of starts to settle down and the results were horrific. Um, in those situations, uh, the physicians, because they had no real understanding of how these diseases spread, what they would advise um, oftentimes is, is keep your hopes up, keep your heart strong, um, uh, you know, keep your smile on your face, um, stay positive. Um, and that positivity itself um, is, I think that will translate into other activities that you can do despite all the restrictions, um, helping others, checking in on others, et cetera. And that is something that's going to keep us uh, sort of going strong throughout this crisis, no matter how bad it gets and no matter how long it lasts. That's very beautiful. Well, Hassam, Thank you for indulging me. Thank you for, you know, uh, propping me up, propping up my ego. I really appreciate for Thanks, you being man. my first guest on my podcast. Um, uh, so you can, can follow me follow uh, at uh, Hassam M underscore on Twitter. And uh, that's H-A-S-S-A-M. And you can follow me on at Hassam.history on Instagram. Um, and uh, yeah, maybe if uh, we didn't have COVID-19, you could also follow me in person somewhere if you're interested. But uh, that's probably not going to happen. <laughs> 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 Thanks, Omar. I really appreciate right, it. Sam, thank you so much. And take care. And I thank hope you. that you, you stay too. safe in your self-isolation. So if you're still listening, thank you so much for sticking to the podcast to the end. I really do appreciate it. I know it's probably been torture for years unless you're into that kind of stuff. But who am I to judge, you know? While I'm here, I also want to thank Kamza Amir. You can follow him on Instagram at Tetramiride for providing me with the dope beats. And while you're here, if you haven't already, please follow me on Instagram at Chicken and Dreams, where you can stay up to date on my life and when the next episode is going to be re released. And don't worry, guys. We're going to get through this. Just continue washing your hands, continue social distancing, and we'll get through COVID-19 together. So to enjoy our summer and to enjoy the rest of our lives.